While they're passing out Romans chapter 8, this way I would like for all of us to follow along uh, going through the ear gate and the eye gate. There are 39 verses. If we take five minutes for, for verse, uh, per verse, five minutes per verse, that would be... No, we're not going to do that, but... Uh, <laughs> But we are going to hit some high spots from all of the verses. And by the way, we send out every week a list of prayer requests on Wednesdays, and it has a list of all the missionaries. And on one day, there is a large, bold print to pray for the special family. How do we word that? Pray for the special family in the Middle East. So, if that's all you know, just pray for the special family in the Middle East. But don't pass it by, because you don't understand that. If you don't understand, ask somebody. It's very important that we pray uh, for these people. This morning, the title of the message is, God has no junk pile. That's one of the con- uh, one of the uh, conclusions that you have to draw uh, from Romans chapter eight. And that's good news. God has no junk pile. Father, we ask for the blessing of the Spirit of God upon us, that we would hear, we would receive, we'd be transformed by the Word of God, and we bless you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. We could also say that when God starts something, he completes it. He doesn't have a garbage dump, doesn't have a trash pile, doesn't have a junkyard. There'll be no one in hell that he attempted to save but was unable to save, that he gave up on. What God starts, he finishes. The chapter starts, as we have often said, with no condemnation and ends with no separation. And this is incredible good news for the Christian. So, verse 1, no condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Notice that in Christ, the verdict is not less condemnation than before. Some condemnation still remaining. There is therefore now no condemnation to whom? To those who are in Christ. The latter part of verse 1, those who in Christ who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He repeats this in verse 4. So, please understand this new walk of not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, is not a condition by which we earn no condemnation. 
It's the fruit of being in Christ. Those who are in Christ are under no condemnation, and they manifest a certain walk. They don't walk where they used to walk. They walk in a totally different way. In verse 2, it says, The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. This is why there, you, in Christ you walk differently than you used to walk. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Sin no longer has dominion over you. It's broken. It's broken. Chapter 6 really emphasizes this. Again, look at this again. This is a verse that people slide over many times. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law, the dominion of sin and of death. Verse 3, what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh... God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He condemned sin in the flesh. Now God's law, we've touched on that a few weeks ago when we spent some time in Romans 7. Um, It has no power. It's good. His law is good, but it has no power to deliver us from sin's power. Are from sin's wages. The law tells us what sin is, but the law cannot defeat sin. Well, verse 3, so God sent his son. And that's the conclusion of chapter 7. For in some sort of way, uh, chapter 7 is speaking about those who are trying to Make it on, go forward in the Christian faith by keeping the law. The law is good, but it's just a mirror. doesn't change anything. And so the conclusion of that chapter is, thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. And in chapter 8, we are confronted with the glorious wonder that Jesus Christ, who did not sin took upon himself our sin and the sinless son of God has had our iniquities laid on him this is not new to most of us but we don't think about it enough the wrath we deserve is poured on Jesus the condemnation that we deserve Jesus took upon himself why did he do this verse 4 that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now again, read that one again. There's some key small words that are very big. That the righteous requirement of the law is... It is not fulfilled by us but it is fulfilled in us. The Christian life is not a matter of rolling up your sleeves. It's a matter of receiving the Lord Jesus Christ and being quickened by the Spirit of God. 
Jesus is our substitute. He was treated as a sinner so we can be treated with his righteousness, clothed in his righteousness would be a better way of putting it. So the Christian is a person in whom God is at work. This is a chapter that we ought to meditate on a regular regular basis because we need to see how the Christian life is lived. We need to see where our hope lies. I'm afraid many times we take out Romans 8, 28 and sort of put it on the wall or post it somewhere and, and we hope that some good will come to us and we don't take time to see the context of all of this. That the Christian is a person in whom God is at work. Again, verse 4, the latter part, in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. It's a certain people. Now in verse 5 through 8, again, if there was any doubt, there's a radical difference between those who are controlled by the flesh and those who are controlled by the Spirit. He's telling you the difference. He's telling me the difference between a person who is lost and a person who is saved. For those who live according to the flesh, those who live, this is a lifestyle, live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. Where's my mindset? Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now why is this true? Verse 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Hates God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. Not subject to the law to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. It's not a possibility. The carnal mind is set to do evil. It is full of hatred against God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. Verse 7 will not, the latter part of verse 7, will not submit to God, is not able to submit to God. If you are here, or if I'm here, and I am willing to submit to attending services and going through some routines and I like the music or this, that, or the other, or I'm here because uh, I'm sort of, I sort of have to be or whatever, but I have no desire in my heart to follow Jesus. I have no desire to set my mind on doing what he wants me to do. Following him. My heart, is, in fact, is in love with the world. Love of the flesh. The carnal mind is set in hatred against God. Now Romans 8, 8. So that when they... So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9. But you, you Christians, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is the Spirit of God. 
the indwelling spirit or either or or else the spirit of God is not in you but you are not in the flesh but in the spirit if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ he is just a carnal Christian oh that's what I was taught that used to be many years ago taught from this pulpit you go to Romans chapter 7, carnal Christians, and Romans chapter 8, here's a spirit-filled Christian. We all ought to be this way, but most of us are not, but we're still going to heaven. It's taught in a lot of places. Well, you need to interpret the Bible. No, you need to read the Bible and accept it as it is. Most of it does not need interpretation. It needs receiving. Hello from you and me. This is very plain. So then, verse 8, Then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but you, you Christians, verse 9, you're not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Christian, you are born again. The Spirit of God lives within you. And through Christ, you now have desire and power over the world, over the flesh, over the Satan. We don't do this perfectly, but we are in a a new track. We are following Jesus because of the power of the indwelling spirit. It's no different than the day of Pentecost. The people that were converted with no begging, no pleading, no promising. I was reading about a church this week and they're... They're trying to adapt to, and they're reaching thousands of people. But you can go there and, uh, and drink beer, play games, uh, have an atheist to come and be the speaker for the day. Have congregations all over the city of New York City. And you don't need to believe in the first 11 chapters of the Bible. All manner of sexuality that God forbids is okay. And, and they're adjusting to the culture, and so they're reaching thousands. Well, I'm sorry. I, I'm not sorry. I'm just, let me put it this way. I have good news. That's not of God. This is of God. This is God's word. You're born again, the Spirit of God lives within you, and through Jesus Christ, you now have indwelling power and desire to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so the next time any of that comes knocking on your door, you say, wait a minute, I'm a child of God. This is not in the, Christ, in the life of Christ, Not should not be in my life. I refuse it. Again, verse 9, the latter part. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Then in verse 10 through 13, he talks about our debt is to the Spirit and not the flesh. Because you and I were always living according to the flesh, sometimes when we are brought out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God's dear Son and the Spirit of God now lives within us, we've been so long saluting to the world, the flesh, and the devil Without thinking, you go back, because uh, I was not there, but I've read stories of how when the 
Emancipation Proclamation was signed and became the law of the land. Uh, People would go up to black folks and say, you're free. You're emancipated. It's the law of the land. What's freedom? They'd never been free. What's freedom? And so many times there is a spiritual war goes on when you're tempted and you, you tend to think if, if you're not grounded in the word of God. Well, that sounds wonderful, but I'm not, I'm still a slave. My friend Drain Adams was in the Navy for many years and he was out for a number of years and had a salesman job with IBM and traveled by the uh, fort or whatever the place where he served and I'm going to go in and see some of the guys and so he starts walking down the hall and his former superior officer he's face to face with him when he went around the corner saluted him immediately force of habit still a lingering identification with what you've done all your life Now, in their case, they both had a good laugh about it and went on their way. But this is why sometimes people, Christian people, godly Christian people, are uh, confused or maybe temporarily on the wrong path. And what's that a sign that we need to do? We need to get in the Word. We need to so hide Romans 8, for example, in our hearts, devour it. I tell people sometimes that I'm meeting with, and we're going through the Ed Wheat's Love Life book, I said, when you come in next time, I want to be able to cut your wrist, and this book bleeds out. The truth of this book, the truth of God's Word. And you know what? People who get serious about hiding God's Word, hiding God's truth, makes a difference. Notice verse 14 and 15. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God, sons and daughters of God. Well, who is a Christian? Who is a son or daughter of God? Well, I'm a Baptist. I'm a charter member. I'm a Southern Baptist. Oh, I'm better than that. I'm a Reformed Baptist. Or I'm a free will Baptist. Or I'm better than that. I'm this denomination or that denomination. I'm non-denomination. Are you a child of God? Well, how would I know? For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Our Father. The test of sonship is whether or not I'm being Led by the Spirit of God. Oh, I believe in being led by the Spirit of God. I was walking along, I was going through the matter, and and God spoke to me. Or, God speaks to me out on my back porch, and he told me this, and he told me that, and he told me this. And yet all that contradicts the Word of God. Many people have an ethereal view of what it means to be led by the Spirit of God. 
sometimes when we want to do something and we want to get uh, some authority on what we want to do, we say, well, I prayed about it and God led. Well, I can't question God. But if what you've just told me doesn't square with the word of God, there's a problem. It's not with the word of God. Turn in your Bibles. You put down your sheet just for a moment. And turn in your Bibles to John 14 and 15 and 16 and 17. We're going to look at a few verses. We've often looked at these verses. They're worthy that we look at them on a regular basis because we need to deal with the question in the life of the genuine Christian, what does it look like to be led by the Spirit of God? Well, you have to understand the nature of the Spirit of God. John 14, verse 16 through uh, 24. Um, he's going to send another comforter. Notice verse 17. He's the Spirit of truth, which the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. And then he goes on down to say, uh, He that loveth me not, he that loveth not the say, or keeps my sayings, let me get my eyes adjusted here. He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the, but the Father which has sent me, verse 26, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will give you all kinds of emotional experiences. You allow to be walking up and down and on top of the pews and, and down the floor barking like a dog. You say, well, are you making fun? No, I'm just telling you what people do as they say that they're being led by the Spirit. No, he says, he shall teach you. Oh, I don't like teaching. I don't want anybody teaching me anything. I already know what I want to do, and I just want God to bless it. Well, Holy Spirit comes to teach. He will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever things I, Jesus, have told you. The business of the Holy Spirit is he is Jesus conscious. He will tell you all about Jesus. He will lead you in the steps of Jesus. He will tell you all the things that Jesus has taught and said. That's what he does. That's what it means to be being led by the Spirit of God. And then in, in chapter 15, verse 26 and 27... When the Comforter is come, whom I will send from the Father, even the Spirit of truth. He's the Spirit of truth. Whom I will send to you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeds from the Father. He shall testify of me. The Holy Spirit doesn't testify of himself. He exalts Jesus. And then in chapter 16, verse 13, he's the spirit of truth, and when he has come, he will guide you into all truth. You say, 
Well, if I'm being led by the Spirit, I'm going to be truth-focused. Where's the emotions? That's the caboose. God made us emotional. We have emotions, but God doesn't drum up emotions. You can go to churches all over America, and people are drumming up emotions from the music and from the preaching, trying to give people an emotional experience. And God is saying, I have some truth to tell you. And if you receive the truth about repenting of your sins and resting in Jesus, you'll be happy. You'll be like Carol Montgomery's or Carol Templeton's father and brother when they got saved and up in First Baptist Hartsville many, many years ago. Her brother, Faye, as he was called, had already gotten saved. His mother had gotten saved. And Faye only weighed, as you've heard this before, he weighed about 500 pounds. His mother was short, but was a large lady. There was a center aisle in the congregation, and pews on either side. At the end of the service, Mr. Claude Montgomery just came running down the aisle, fell on his face before God, and openly cried out for the mercies of God to save him. We saw some spontaneous joy and happiness. Faye was in this aisle. His mother was in this aisle, or in this set of pews. They met in the center aisle and started dancing and shouting. It was not choreographed. Nobody suggested it. They were happy at the salvation of their father or husband. Hallelujah. There's plenty of emotion in biblical Christianity. When we respond to, when we receive the truth. Jesus is the truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. This is the word of truth. Biblical Christianity is all about truth. The antidote to a world full of lies. The antidote to yours and my mind, emotions, and will that are so susceptible to lies and deceptions. So he leads us to repentance. He leads us to make little of ourselves and much of Jesus. He leads us into truth. He leads us to love. He leads us into holiness. He is the Holy Spirit. And he destroys fear and gives you the comfort of family. Verse 15 of Romans chapter 8. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption. Verse 16. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. When you're born again, you and the Holy Spirit are on the same page. The Holy Spirit helps us with intercession, as we 
saw last week. He's able to guide our prayer life. In verse 28 through 30, God, God's help is an enduring promise. He, he works all things together for good. We know that all things work together for good. We know that he is at work in all things to bring about good to those who love God, to those who are the call according to his purpose. God is at work in all things. Now this is continuing. This is not broken up. We need to take all this together. So then you get to verse 29 and 30. For whom, notice the word he. Notice who's doing something here. And, and, and you can look for somebody else in vain. Because it's all about he, what he does, what God does. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestinated, these he also called. And whom he called, those he also justified. And whom he justified, these he glorified. This is why we can say without fear of contradiction... All of these verses, God doesn't have a God does not have a garbage dump. What he begins, he completes. Now there are those in the pulpit, all the way to the back pew, that God did not plant. They're not his. They never knew God. The scripture is very plain about that. That's another message, but that's uh, a very needed truth. It's in the Word of God. But Christian, the triune God of the universe has set his love upon you from eternity past. You are not an afterthought. You are planned for by God. So what shall we say about all these things? If God is for you, who can be against you? Well, I'll tell you who can be against you. I, you got all day? Well, the point is, doesn't matter. They can't accomplish anything that would destroy God's love for you or destroy your eternity with him. God is for you because he has reconciled you to himself through the sacrifice of his son. Verse 32, the evidence that God is for us is the gift of Jesus Christ. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not bring with him also? How shall he not with him also give us all things? Freely give us all things. It's very encouraging if we think about it that he did not say, He who created the universe. He who is all powerful. He who is all knowing. He's all of this and this is wonderful. But that's not what's going on here. What's happening here, the motivation, the encouragement for your heart this morning, the one who is speaking to you and I is the one who did not spare his son, but delivered him up. And so in verse 33 through 39, through 39 the security of the believer in God's love is solid, to put it mildly. Who shall bring a charge? Against God's elect. It's God who justifies. You can't top that. Who is he who condemns? 
We were under condemnation when we were in sin. But who is he condemns? It is Christ who died. He dealt with that. Therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation. He not only died, he arose. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He also makes intercession for us. Verse 35. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Oh, in case you didn't know it, being a Christian doesn't mean that life will be easy. But will be victorious. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We're the beneficiaries of a great cloud of witnesses who've gone before us, who've experienced all that we've experienced and more. And they were not destroyed. They were not cast down. They were conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're secure. Because in Christ, we've been justified by the highest judge and no one can bring an additional charge. When the judge is satisfied, end of story. We're secure from all condemnation. Jesus himself is our advocate. None of the sufferings of this present world can separate us from his love, no matter the circumstance. We are more than conquerors, verse 37 through him who loved us. Now look at that verse again. There's something very important here. Notice that it did not say, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Now that's true, he does love us presently, but that's not what this verse says. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. William R. Newell was a pastor up in Chicago many years ago and taught at Moody Bible Institute, and he has a commentary on the book of Romans, and he's got something here. I'm going to read it a couple times to make sure we get it. Verse 37, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It is this past past tense gospel that the devil hates. Let a preacher be continually saying, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. And he and his congregation will by and by be losing sight of both their sinnerhood and the substitutionary atonement of the cross. If you can say by the grace of God today that God loves you, it's only because he loved you at the cross. 
Oh, that was pretty important as the Holy Spirit began to move for the writing of the last book of the Bible, wasn't it? Here are these persecuted Christians. And so in chapter 1, the Holy Spirit wants these persecuted Christians to get on the right foot. This is from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. I'm afraid we don't have enough emphasis on the fact that God loved us. That automatically brings us to have to deal with the reality. Have I dealt with the reality of my sin? Jesus came to pay the sin debt of sinners. First thing the Holy Spirit does is to, to convict us of our sin. Are we in remembrance of our sinnerhood? Paul wanted the Ephesian Christians to be strongly in remembrance of their sinnerhood. After taking us to the heights of glory in the wonders of what the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit has done for us in salvation and choosing us and uh, calling us and predestining us and all of that, He reminds them and us today as we start in chapter 2. And you, he hath quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our lifestyle in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Don't forget your sinnerhood. You need a Savior. Only sinners need saviors. Have you come to grips with your need of Jesus Christ as your Savior? And I think you know, if you don't, let it sink deeply in your soul. If Ephesians 2, 1 through and 3 is a cage, how can you get out of it? There's only one way out. It starts with verse 4. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses and sin, together with Christ, for by grace are you saved. He has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved. More than conquerors in Christ. In Christ, power to overcome. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ.
If you look in the mirror and let the Spirit of God speak to you and you say, Man, be honest, I'm controlled by the flesh. Flee to Christ. He deals with that, and no one else can. Cry out to him for mercy, for grace. All who come to him, he will in no wise cast out. Christian, cheer up. Things are getting hard. may get worse. I want to be very honest with you. Some of you are on this boat. You are very consumed with what's happening and what you think is going to happen in the world. Well, there are some things that are happening and they have been happening and they are going to happen and they are going to get worse if you believe Jesus. Well, how close are we to... Here's what I know. You and I are all one heartbeat. It doesn't matter what Russia does. It doesn't matter what the Chinese do. It doesn't matter uh, what's happening in the Middle East. You are and I are one heartbeat from eternity. That's not guessing. That's the word of God. Today is the day of salvation. Repent. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian and you're in Christ, whether I live or whether I die, I am the Lord's. To be with Christ is far better. It's needful right now for me to be here. I want to be useful in God's kingdom now. Uh, the days are evil. I want to redeem the time. Lord, let me live a little longer. There are others I want to talk to Jesus about. Those are some of the last words of Faye Montgomery, the 500-pound man who opened his heart to Jesus Christ and was born again by the Spirit of God. I was meeting him for the first time. I had just shared the gospel with his parents, and they were very cordial, but they did not receive the Lord. I walked back through the kitchen or through the dining room. He had already said he, he didn't have clothes to come to church that night. He'd have to shave. He had no interest. He was watching a ball game. I simply pulled out of the track and said, could we go through this? He immediately cut the television off and listened. And with no pushing from me, he wanted to receive the Lord. Do you want to tell him? Yes, I do. He goes and tells his parents, what about church? And I'll be there. And he was. And for six months... He radiated Christ. And some friends of his had a record player. It was back in those days. Now on that record player was somebody singing Amazing Grace. And every time he'd stop by there, they'd say, get that, get that Amazing Grace out. I want to listen to it. And he would just sit there and just weep. Tears of joy. And then we were having some special meetings, and he came to go. He said, I'm not feeling good. I'll just stay here and pray. He came to go out to visit. I'll just stay and pray. And then on a Tuesday night, someone called him and said, will not you go fishing with me tomorrow? 
He said, well, thank you, but uh, I've got some friends in Lebanon that I'm planning to go see on Wednesday to talk to them about Jesus. The Lord took him into sleep that night. God doesn't do junk. He doesn't have a junk pile. He's in the business of transforming, setting people free from the world, the flesh, and the devil, and making them children of God, people who are led by the Holy Spirit. And when we mess that up, it's called grieving and quenching the Spirit, and we'll repent We may have to be chastened, but we'll get back up and we'll keep going forward in the steps of Jesus. Till we get home. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Our Father, we thank you and we bless you for the wonderful, glorious truth of your word. We pray for the transforming power of the Spirit of God, who is the Spirit of truth, to take the written word of God and flood our hearts and quicken the truth in our hearts and lives to encourage and to direct the steps of the saints and to bring the lost from that cage, that bondage of the world, the flesh, and the devil to be born again of your spirit. And we bless you and praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.